DJ and PK, we're brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Time to welcome in Frank Dolce, Ute Insider for the Zone Sports Network, former Ute quarterback. Frank, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Nice to catch up with you. Good to catch up with you. I'm curious, do you feel better about your Utes after uh, watching them take that 21-point lead at Washington or all the turnovers and the way the game gave the game away just frustrates you beyond belief? <laughs> yes. I think probably I feel uh, both ways a little bit. You know, the, the, uh, the first half of play looked pretty good, and it felt like um, Utah solved a lot of their problems from game one and and then it wasn't like i mean it it wasn't like a complete collapse by utah that that would be ridiculous to say they didn't they certainly didn't play as well in the second half i think they relaxed a little bit i think it's difficult to overcome youth and inexperience but washington came out and changed the game and they changed the game at the line of scrimmage and they changed the game with making sure that their best offensive weapon found the ball several times. And, uh, and they, they just took control of it. So it was, you know, it was a combination of Utah not playing as well in the second half and Washington playing much better in the, in the second half. So I guess all in all, I feel like this, the way that I graded it after the game was this is in this crazy year when Utah's only going to get four or five games in. It's a rebuilding year for Utah. I don't think we I don't think I have any other expectations of this football team. I was hopeful at the beginning of the year that some of the pieces would fall into place and they haven't necessarily fallen into place for lots of different reasons. So that's how I would grade it. A rebuilding year. I saw lots of positive things um, the other night against Washington. No question it's a rebuilding year combined with the fact that it's a screwy year, so it's hard to go crazy on the outcomes of these games. But one thing that really sucks for me, for the Utah perspective, is not being able to see Cam Rising develop. I think that's a blow because my guess is Bentley is a one and dunner and he goes back to East Coast where he's from. And we don't have Rising being able to build on this season, and that really bothers me. It would have been that would have been really nice, a luxury for Utah to have Rising get this experience, the game experience, and the speed of the game, and understanding some of the things that happen, and and understanding coaching during in in game. So all of those things would have been a really nice, a really nice bonus for Utah. Um, and and so now maybe he. He's not quite where he'd like to be starting out next next football season. I think of all the things in terms of personnel that are happening right now, that may be the most damaging. And to say damaging sounds super dramatic and everything else, but but it, it's probably the biggest blow that Utah will face in terms of personnel at that position group. 
You know, I thought this was a rebuilding year uh, as soon as last year ended. They were just going to lose so many guys. And so I didn't have any expectations of them winning the division a third year in a row. Nobody's done that. But I thought they could still get a lot done this year. I thought they had a chance to play eight games with a bowl. Now we've seen two games wiped out. That takes you down to six. They're probably not going bowling, partly because of the way they're playing and partly because it looks like the Pac-12 bowl tie-ins are mostly... Not mostly, but several of them aren't going, at least three, and maybe there'll be a fourth one that isn't even going to be played this year. So now you're down to five games. So I wonder, and, and to PK's point, you know, the, quarter, the, the presumed starting quarterback next year is down to 14 plays. So do you think they really are improving that much? You see that much improvement from game one to two? Are we going to keep seeing that kind of improvement because it's a young team and there's so much room to grow? Or is it really not even that good of a rebuilding year? Well, it's not... It's not a great rebuilding year because you don't get the the depth and breadth because you're limited on the number of games. Um, it's a it's a nice rebuilding year because you get some experience, you get some games, and it, you know it looks like Utah's going to face in their next couple opponents teams that have been fairly successful this year, and and, and maybe teams that we didn't think were going to be so successful this year. So I think that. That experience is really difficult to to manage outside of a game. You just can't get that type of experience outside of a game in a game atmosphere, even though it's a little a little bit strange this year. So I think it's really valuable, and I think there has been improvement, and especially for especially for guys who haven't been around the program, especially for guys like the, the guys who are lining up in the defensive secondary, who are all you know, really young, and some of them coming straight straight out of high school and, and playing in this in this type of atmosphere. So uh, I, I think those things are, are really valuable. I think it's valuable that, that Utah went through the experience that they had with Washington. But my feeling was that, or it still is, that Utah played a really good first half um, and went into the locker room, and a lot of youth and inexperience in, in kind of took a breath at halftime and said, "Man, we we're really doing well. We're we're in this thing. We're playing really well." And that human nature, you have a tendency to relax in that scenario. Well, you just can't relax in four quarter a four quarter football game, and you saw the result of that. I think that's a an experience that guys will will learn a lesson from, and and hopefully that will be valuable in the future. So the three quarterbacks that were vying for the position, Utah didn't offer, or maybe they did offer, but they didn't sign any of them to scholarships out of high school. And we see, you know, Tuttle's going to get a start this week, and we know that story, and we know that he wanted to come, but he didn't want anybody else. And so Utah didn't offer Zach Wilson. He's blown up down there in Provo. And we got maybe a similar situation this year. What is your philosophy on terms of offering quarterbacks, and should it be you just zero in on one? No, I think you. I think Utah got themselves in trouble a little bit because of the Tuttle situation. It's like you know the the program bowing to the player um, rather than the program just building the program and putting the putting the right players in in place, and that whole thing exploded. And so when, and, and that's kind of a funny thing. I mean, it doesn't feel like a Coach Whittingham kind of situation to have somebody make all of these demands and then the, and then the program, you know, bow down to those demands. It just didn't, it, the whole thing didn't 
feel right. And, and then here's the result. And maybe, you know, you know, maybe it turned out differently. Another way we would be talking about it differently, but it didn't. And so, so I think that moving forward that you, you find it's just like any position group. I mean, you don't go out and Utah doesn't go out and recruit a running back and then not, and then stop recruiting running backs. They go out and they load up the running back group. And so the guys that we thought would probably be the starters this year, Brumfield and Wilmore, well, it looks like they may, they may not be the starters moving forward because they have another guy. So, so the philosophy to me should be, um, you know, the cream rises to the top and you just go out and find all the best talent you can and, and bring them in and then and let those guys battle it out and, and whoever wins the competition wins. And if a four-star you've never been able to get before um, bolts in the meantime because of that, oh, well. Because that is the downside. <laughs> like, why can't they get a four-star? Those guys just yeah. won't put up with that. They'll put up with it if your yeah. name is USC, but they won't put up with it if your name is 10 other schools in the conference. Yeah, but, but you know, to go along with that, this program is not built on four-stars. Coach Whittingham hasn't built a program program on four stars. It's not USC. It's uh, not agreed, necessarily agreed, but it hasn't Washington been built Oregon. But, but it hasn't been built on good quarterbacking since you either, Frank. And if they had it, <laughs> they might hit a level that you'd fans crave, but just can't routinely get. I'm just I'm just glad they didn't have the star system. Maybe they did, and I just wasn't aware of it way back when. But. Uh, that that could have been severely disappointing for Utah fans to to bring that star in, but but uh, yeah, I I so um, I I don't know. I I just I don't know that. Like I've always said that that I I like the philosophy of David Shaw. I I, I don't know that that um, that Stanford always does it. It always gets. The, the job done, I, but I like the way David Shaw does it because he knows what he is, he knows what that program is, he goes out and, to re, and he recruits to that, and he recruits under the most, I think, some of the most difficult circumstances J- just because of the, the academic requirements. So, but, but he builds a program based on good offensive line play, good defensive line play, good front seven on the defensive side, and tries to find a really good running back, really good tight end, and a quarterback that can manage, that is smart and can manage all of that. And doesn't, you know, doesn't have to be a superstar. Andrew Luck is the anomaly at, at Stanford. John Elway is the, is, I think, is the anomaly at, at, at Stanford. I don't think that Utah has to have a superstar at quarterback to be really successful. They can be superstars in lots of other position groups. And if you're a superstar in five out of six position groups, that's, that's, a, that's a win. And maybe that doesn't include the quarterback position. I think they need to be good at quarterback, absolutely. Above average at quarterback, for sure. I mean, but, but to say that Utah needs a superstar at the quarterback position, to me, it's a luxury. It's not a necessity. So how much does rep play into that? Because Stanford, it seems like they've been able to do that, as you say, over a number of years. And, you know, last year they weren't successful. But other than that, they've been pretty successful. 
where it seems like with Utah, man, it's just a struggle to get somebody in here who can play. Well, I mean, there is a little bit of a different allure to Stanford as well. So, uh, I mean, you probably have, um, just because of the academic reputation, uh, you probably have a little bit more of a, of a pick um, at Stanford. I think at, you're at underestimating. Position. I think you're underestimating Utah's sociology program. <laughs> you may be right. Uh, I I'll have to look into that. I will fully admit that I I am not familiar with the uh, national rankings of that program. So, and the other th- the other thing is along with that, uh, not only does Stanford ha- have a little bit of clout. With, because of the reputation of the institution, and and Tiger Woods is an alum, along with you know several other guys like that. Uh, to your point, DJ, Utah just doesn't have a, you know this history of producing um, NFL type quarterbacks. It just it, you know it's not it's just not been in the in the makeup of the of the program. And so that that is something I you know I I would have to think that recruits today look at like am I going to take the step from Utah and then go play in the NFL if you're the quarterback position group you look at that and you think well you know 50-50 it's it's not a it's not a guarantee so and that's but that's true of lots of that's true of lots of college football programs anyway I I just feel like um you know Utah at the quarterback position group that has to be it has to be a, a you know, a competent individual running that position, an athletic individual, you know, a guy that's fairly gifted at that position group. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that, it, you know, that it has to be a superstar for Utah to be really successful as a football program. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, but I just think we, the, the passing game for multiple reasons – uh, has been below average for most of the time they've been in the Pac-12. And when it's gotten to the point that it's been average or a little above average, they've found themselves in the Pac-12 championship game. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I, it'd be great if they had NFL quarterbacks because they had one in Alex Smith and they went undefeated. So I'm, I'm all for it. I get your point that that's going to be hard to do. But when you look at what's holding Utah back now, they have upgraded so many things that that's what we're left with. You know, people used to complain about the linebackers. Well, hasn't it been four or five years since anyone's complained about the linebackers? Linebackers are pretty good. Nobody's complained about Devin Lloyd. <laughs> yeah. Devin Lloyd's pretty good, you know? Yeah. Nobody's complained yeah. about Cody Barton's last year at the U. He was really good, and there's a whole list of those guys. So it's like, what's left to upgrade? Well, it's not tight end. It's receiver and quarterback. That's it. I think everybody feels really good about everything else. I don't, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. Um, but I also wouldn't agree that that is what is necessarily, I mean, I think that's where the, if you're going to improve the team, then those are the position groups where you find improvement. Um, does that determine the success of the program? I, I, I'm not necessarily willing to, to go that far. I think it's, certainly helpful. Brian Johnson went undefeated. Mm-hmm. And 
all with all due respect to Brian Johnson, he was not an NFL quarterback. Well, especially with all I the injuries. I never thought he was an NFL. Yeah, with all well, the injuries he had, he was athletically he wasn't what he was when he showed up. But he was maybe, doing. He was maybe. Doing, maybe. I I won't ever. I don't think I'd ever agree with you on that. We could debate that back and forth. I always thought Brian Johnson was a fantastic football player, a fantastic football mind. I I I also thought that um, he was limited in his tools, and 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 so that was going to be a factor if if he was if he had a chance to play at the next yeah. level. Um, but but. Um, so, so the point is, I mean, maybe we, you and I, do that, you know, agree to disagree thing, but, but I, I feel like Utah can be really good in in lots of position groups, and they are, and and like you've said, they have done really well in in building up what we previously considered weaknesses, like the linebacker group, like once upon a time the defensive backfield, which is now. A strength seems to be yearly a strength for for Utah. So um, so can they do that at the quarterback position? They probably can. Should they focus on that at the quarterback position? Yeah, absolutely. People generally agree that it's the most important position group on the football field. Um, and so, but will they do that? I don't know. I mean, and and is it necessary for them for them to do that? I think that is the the question I get to. Uh, is is I don't think there's a necessity. It, it feels more like a luxury. Would it be helpful? Would it help improve the, the football team and some aspects of the of the offensive game plan? Yes, but I just don't feel like it's a requirement for the success of the program. So with that in mind, you know, as far as this being a rebuilding season, and I'm fully on board with that. I've been saying it for weeks. And I'm not going to put as much stock in that. But even as I say that, I think, man, this team better beat Oregon State on Saturday. Well, uh, so maybe part of the reason I labeled this uh, a rebuilding year is so <laughs> is so that I didn't put that expectation on Utah to beat Oregon State. On Saturday, I think Utah has to figure out how to win these last couple games. I think that would be significant for the football program, um, and especially the way that Oregon State is playing right now and what they did with Oregon last week. I thought that was really interesting, fun, fun to watch that, and fun to see that occur. So, um, does do, do I think that Utah needs to win this game? I don't. You know, I don't think it. Like I said, it's about the quarterback position. I don't think it's a necessity, but it, I think it would. I think it would be. It would be really helpful. It would go a long way in helping to build the stability of this particular group, not the stability of the program. I think this is still the most stable kind of program in the Pac-12, but the stability of this particular group of football players, and maybe if this group goes out. And wins a couple games, then you have a you you have you might have a couple guys who have the opportunity to leave, think about staying, and think about moving moving along into next season and really putting trying to put something together. Because I think I think the talent is there on this football team, but with all of the you know the youth, the inexperience, the craziness of this year, and some of the injuries they faced in game one. 
um, then it's a really difficult challenge for, for 2020. I think that's the thing that everyone can see is that, to PK's point, I don't think they have to beat Oregon State because Oregon State's Oregon State. I think Oregon State is getting better. Uh, but just you don't want a three-game losing streak. You don't want to be 0-3. You've got to beat somebody. Uh, Oregon State just happens to be next, but, you know, if you, you got to yeah. be somebody. So yeah. there's that. I, but I do think that the eyeball test, they've got a lot of athletes all over the field. It hasn't added up to wins yet, but it should. And if they make another step forward like they made last week, then inevitably they're going to end up in a pretty good place. But Jamar Well, G- if they play – yeah. I, I think if they play two halves of football like they played against Washington in the first half, then it's a really they're, – they're a tough out. No, no question about it, and it, it's just a matter of if they can if they can learn from that experience, and and take that you know take a lead into halftime and figure out how to finish another team off. That's that's a I think that's a huge question mark. That's one of the the evolution of this football team. I think we'll we'll see on Saturday. But Jamar Jefferson's a really good running back, so this is a major really test, good major test for the defense. He's very good. really good. Well. So I think that's the I think that's the matchup. I mean, I think we talked about that with Washington. Is Washington was running the ball really effectively prior to the game against Utah, and I thought it was a good matchup with Utah because Utah's number one priority on defense is to stop the run. So and they did that, and they they put it on the they put it on the hands of the shoulders of the quarterback, and then you know the quarterback beat them. So. So I think that it's, it's a good matchup for Utah on Saturday, even though it's fantastic running back, fantastic running game. I'm, I'm as excited about watching, watching Oregon State's running attack as I am anything else in this game. I just love that part of the football game. So that will be, I think that will be a very, very interesting battle to watch, how Utah manages the run game. Um, against Oregon State, and if they can then, if Oregon State is forced to pass, if the defensive secondary has learned some lessons from a week ago about how to, how to slow the passing game down a little bit. Frank, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. By the way, I think you two are superstars, and the show <laughs> wouldn't survive without you. Uh, y'all could make it happen. Don't kid yourself. He would find a way. Are you certified? Are you a certified agent, Frank? I I, I think I could be. I'll have to Good. Google it. Okay, I may call you here in a little while. <laughs> Google it. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Frank. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Great to catch up. Frank Dolce, former Ute quarterback. He is a Ute insider. You hear him all week long right here on the Zone Sports Network on all the shows. And then he and Hans Olsen do the postgame show after Ute game. So they will be up late this week after an 8.30 game. All right, DJ and PK, we'll take a break. Come back, catch you up to date on everything you missed in this show next. Stay with us. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Interesting to hear Boyan talk about his injury, Gordon. I was in pain for most of the season. It was tough to me when I realized that I had torn my ligaments. I was the first one that trying to talk everybody to let me play. That's a very Boyan thing, like, no, I'm not getting surgery, I'm fine. I've never suffered that injury, and I don't know what it takes to rebound in the way the Jazz want him to. He's a tough dude. I mean, do you remember back, it was either the first or the second game where he had an ankle roll that was off. Like, it was hard to watch. It was bad. And he missed a game. And if you look throughout his entire career, he's a tough dude. He just doesn't miss games. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
And so the ball comes in, the clock hits zero, and this thing is over. And we got a final now from Raleigh Durham, and it's Michigan State making some history, beating Duke on the road 75-69 to mark the first time the green and white have won in this building, Cameron Indoor, and it marks the first time Michigan State has ever beaten Duke during the regular season. I know one thing, I'm not going to put this as an asterisk. No fans or not fans, um... You know, it was a good win for us against a good team, a great program, and a very, very well-coached team. That's Tom Izzo. Pretty happy that Michigan State won at Duke, even if the fans weren't screaming at him and bouncing up and down like they do at Cameron Indoor. A few home games, a lot of uh, the tournaments, the MTEs. Why does it have to be a multiple-team event? Can't we just call it a tournament? It was so simple. Got an abbreviation for everything. NCAA has to screw screw it all up. BYU got beat, PK. A lot of people watched that in the middle of the day yesterday. They couldn't shoot it against, uh, well, they couldn't hit the three, and USC's size and athleticism didn't let them have anything in close, at least not anything in. It was uncontested. They shoot 27.5% from the field. They get beat 79-53. They really need the three to go in against a team like USC. Uh, Yeah, anybody that's a quality team, they need the three to go in. That's just the way they're built, and they sucked. Now, that could be a bad shooting game. Obviously, it was, but you don't want it to be bad shooting slumps, which then is going to create a problem for them to be able to win. And it's important for them in the West Coast Conference being able to have a decent and a very good non-conference schedule. And by that, I mean you win these games, not just schedule them, because the West Coast Conference is still, I mean, we could pump it up all we want, and I know the BYU homers want to do that, but we go back to what we were talking about with the football and the perception. You know, BYU lost last last year some games, and maybe it's carrying over into this year. The West Coast Conference is always going to be viewed as a mediocre conference at best. And so for the Cougars, Gonzaga has been able to escape it because they've won some big non-conference games over the years, and they've had some good tournament success. They got to a Final Four. BYU has not. So they've got to win non-conference games to get a decent seed to start to build on that. And, you know, and it, 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 this Mark Pope thing, he's a very infectious guy, right? His personality is just, he's got so much charisma. All right, that's good. And you've got a bunch of transfers, and you're, that seems to be the way you're going. Is, uh, you know, we don't know what the roster is till about June or July of every year. <laughs> and fine. If that's what you want to do, great. And you didn't get the opportunity last year. But the one postseason game you had, you tripped all over yourself against St. Mary's, right? And they didn't hit the three and a half at that game, and it was a horrible loss. Now, maybe they could have recovered. We'll never know because the NCAA tournament was taken away. My point is, he's got all this momentum. They signed him to a long-term deal. But you've got to start winning games that really matter. Portland doesn't matter in that respect. And so you've got to win these types of games so you can have some success in the NCAA tournament because that's where it's at. Well, they got another chance today. St. John's is 3-0, and coming in off a win over Boston College. BYU's 3-1. and They play at 3 o'clock today in Connecticut. It's on ESPN2 if you want to watch Yeah, they may game. be 3-0, and but Bill Wennington ain't walking through that door. <laughs> Bill Wennington, nice. Chris Mullen isn't walking through that door. Well, everybody would go Chris Mullen. I didn't want to go That's Chris Mullen. Pull. 5 o'clock, yeah. Gonzaga and West Virginia on ESPN. So there's a WCC. Walter Berry is not header. walking through that door. <laughs> Walter, Walter Berry. Berry. Nice. I like it. That's what I was thinking of, and I couldn't think of it, so I had to go to Wennington, and as you were talking, I remembered his name. There you I go. Kept thinking, I kept thinking Lamar Odom, but now it's not Lamar Odom. 
Who is it? Somebody like Lamar Odom, and my memory served me correct, and I got it. <laughs> uh, Pac-12 today, uh, Indiana and Stanford on ESPN at 11.30 in the morning if you want to see that. Of course, the big TV appointment viewing today is in the NFL. The rare, the very rare Wednesday afternoon game on NBC. It's uh, the Ravens, who are 6-4, and four, and the undefeated Steelers. I don't know, does it feel like a big game on Wednesday, or does it feel like a yes. novelty act? Well, at both. It feels like a novelty act to me. And, and honestly, the, the big game thing is kind of taking a hit because the Ravens have lost three or four. They're not training well. They've been beaten by the Steelers, although it was a close game. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if they can get it going today in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but I, I need something, man, because we don't have NBA at night. The timing of this couldn't be better. If I had a jazz game today, tonight, I mean, I don't know how jacked I would be for this game. Because jazz games are must. Everything, well, not everything, but most things take a backseat to jazz games when they're on television for us. And a lot of fans, too. We're just fortunate enough to get paid to do it. Very lucky in that regard. But I wouldn't be as jacked because I wouldn't have as much. Now I got something. I've been, I've been calling this for weeks. I've been saying a Tuesday afternoon game. Well, this you were the- wrong. It's a Wednesday afternoon game. I know. Somebody didn't wear a mask somewhere or something. I don't right. know. They had to push it back a day. But great, man. They get to play it. And just the fact in today's environment, the fact that you get to play is a reason to celebrate just on its own from the fan perspective. These guys want to win. It's a big deal. It's their livelihood. But I'm talking from the fan perspective because that's all I bring. I've never once, Dave, put hat on hat. Oh, great. Okay. And I want to tell you, you know, a lot of it is at the end of the day. Well, we don't do that. We're at the beginning of the day. (laughs) I hate the way Donovan Mitchell is biased against the morning show. Right. He always favors the big show. Everything is end of the day. No, I want beginning of the day. I'm going to – I'm going to – I'm going to beat this phrase into the ground from now on. Well, at the beginning of the day, because why does it always have to be at the end? It's not just a Donovan thing either. Quinn went at 3 o'clock yesterday. Let's have a fresh start at the beginning of the day. And then you got the whole day to accomplish yourself. McDonough's went at 5.30. Come on, Jazz. Follow the Utes. Do some morning stuff. I want to play basketball, but I had the injury. That is a terrible, terrible... (laughs) Terrible attempt at impersonation. You better hope Joe Ingles didn't hear that because he's making fun of you. I didn't make fun of you anyway. Joe can make fun of me, but where I would really be hurt is if Renai and the kids made fun of me. Speaking of which, we need to start working on Joe again. We've got to get him back on. Renai and the kids. That would bother me. But injury, I ask, can I play basketball? They tell me no. I have to have surgery oh, so i have surgery okay. now i come back to play basketball i am begging you to stop Ooh, that's the last thing you want to do it's going to happen please stop you need to go the other way order you to stop you don't take no orders. no compliment me it's keep going thing. it's great PK. you're <laughs> doing a wonderful job i can't bring myself to do it i, <laughs> I can't told do you, it all those years that the utah administration was trying to get me off the beat that was that was not the tact 
And Jay Shelliday, the editor, kept saying, nope, 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 we're fine with him. The more you pushed on it, the more he resisted. You need to say, man, we really love him. He's great. He's been giving us great coverage, the best we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> they'll say, wait a second. Man. Wait a minute. Let's get someone tougher in there. Exactly. Exactly. That's the way I operate. If you want me to stop, don't tell me to stop. Tell me how great it is. I play basketball. So we had David Nixon on, former Cougar, Frank Dolce, the former Ute, and Riley Jensen, the former Aggie. Uh, we didn't talk about it with David. We stayed on BYU with him, but uh, Riley, Riley talks everything. Uh, both Riley and Frank saw steps forward with the Utes, but it's pretty simple. They just got to stop the turnovers. There's this, has there ever been a more obvious analysis of a football team than the Utes? Like, they've, they've got athletes. I mean, these young guys are pretty good. That's pretty clear. And and they got better, but if they just turn the ball over like this, it doesn't matter. Mm, it doesn't matter in the last two. I mean, they did have six turnovers once against BYU in one. Uh, so you've got to reduce them as much as possible. I'm going to take it a step beyond Andy Ludwig. I was bleeping disgusted. <laughs> Andy, that was an awesome <laughs> quote. <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, too many. Too many right now. But they've got a new quarterback and Ty Jordan has fumbled twice. He's a freshman. He's a young pup. Future looks really bright for him. Looks like uh, in a year or two he might be another one of those long line of list of 1,000-yard rushers. So uh, develop, grow. This is the perfect year for it. We've talked about it. But with that in mind, and uh, looking, I was doing some Oregon State research yesterday. They don't know if that quarterback is going to start. They don't know. Uh, Smith is playing at Coy as far as who's going to be the starting quarterback. And if it's the backup, who is only literally taking one snap at the college level. Mm-hmm. And he's one for one. He scored a touchdown. <laughs> he scored a touchdown on a quarterback sneak. Yeah, right We're going to keep it game. simple, and you're going to yeah. sneak into the end zone and beat Oregon. And he yeah, did. And that, that's exactly what happened. Uh, so uh, I really think the Utes need to win. I'm not, if they go, uh, how many games are they going to play? Five. If they go two and three, or three and two, I'm not going to just make a big difference either way this season. But you don't want to go zero and three. I mean, that's just bad news. So you want to win, even and really for them now, uh, it's still to a degree that the COVID is still an issue because they don't think they have all their guys. But they've been able to practice the majority of the time as a team. That SC thing, forget it. For just absolutely forget it. <laughs> no, I, I I'm I don't care about that game one bit. They hadn't practiced as much. You SC had played a couple of games. Mm-hmm. You hadn't played anybody. You hadn't had your team. That was just a it was a guaranteed loss. The if, if you're out two or three weeks during the season, how do you expect to be able to compete in that first game when you come back? Like the Devils, they missed three games. Well, as a Devil fan. What level of expectation could I possibly have for this week? Who are they playing? UC Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, pretty modest. I mean, yeah, and, and plus they had uh, the safety and uh, a cornerback got suspended. So add uh, on top of that. But they hadn't played for three weeks. That's exactly what the Utah was going now. Now the Utes have played a couple of weeks here. And so I have a little bit more expectation. And so, yes, I have an expectation of expecting them to win Saturday. David Nixon came on and said that Tom Homo has sent out contracts to 10 schools and hasn't heard back. 
Uh, that could be a fun game for tomorrow. We could we could say which ten schools has Tom almost sent contracts to. I'm sure the Ute fans will come back with you know the bottom of the Sun Belt and the bottom of Conference USA. I got to assume that Tom has gone through and and uh, I don't know if cherry picked is the right word, but did try to figure out okay, am I wasting my time here or have they got some motivation to want to play? You know, maybe a Miami, depending on what happens with this North Carolina game. Uh, It'd be interesting to see what 10 schools he sent them to and why. Well, uh, Because there are a lot of teams who aren't going to want to play BYU. It's like, it's the end of the year, and they'll crush us. Why do we want to do that? It could be some of those are stipulative, which I don't even know is a word. Because if you're, like, for the Pac-12, you know, they need um, just an odd number of uh, games Teams, to yeah. be canceled, right? Yeah, right. And so there could be something along those lines if – if this team gets canceled, if that that game over there, whatever it might be, hey, we want you to know this is something we want to we want to get ahead of it uh, of the game rather than starting from scratch at such a late date. So even though it's a, he has contacted with a contract and all that stuff, it could be. Uh, what am I looking for? Is stipulative a word? I don't even know. Close enough. Word. Make a word up. It's good but enough. You know what I'm talking. I know exactly st- what you're they getting. Have at. stipulations right. on them. Yeah. Yeah. So if 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 this happens, if that happens, we're here, and we've already started the pro- a process, even though the process may not not go anywhere. Uh, maybe send it to a conference and saying, "Here's the deal. We'll do this, and it's this. Uh, if any of your teams are available, if you have an odd number of teams available." Here's, here's the situation. Yeah, yeah exactly. uh, David Nixon says he hasn't heard anything about this week's game or potential game, and so it's getting, it's getting pretty late here. I mean, something could happen, but we're kind of getting up against it here in the next 24 hours or so. Yep. All right, DJ and PK, that's some of what we've been talking about today. We're going to take a break, come back with your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Oh, that'll get the committee's attention. Let's compare last year's crappy losses against this year's crappy wins. Even a pile of zero quality wins equals zero help when it comes to getting a decent bowl game, no matter how many times you press play. That's Kay. He's having none of BYU being any good or going anywhere. Shut it down. Well, he's a zero. You know what that makes him? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good on the fly. I'll give that one to you. <laughs> Committee ranked BYU at 13. Can the Cougars beat any of the teams ranked ahead of them? And Il Nate, who is probably Kay's burner account, says BYU is probably undefeated in a hypothetical game, so I'd say absolutely. I'd sense a high level of sarcasm right there. All right. Uh, we got people tweeting about the Utes. The Utes on offense have a hard time recognizing their strengths and taking advantage of them. It's probably people frustrated that uh, they're not getting the ball to the tight end anymore. What happened? Other than defenses are targeting him, taking him away. I thought they used Keithy a lot more in game two, though. Early in the game, I think so, and then later in the game, not so much. Ended up with four catches for 23 yards. They did run him on one of those fly sweeps, yeah. reverses, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And, and I like him that it was situation. Um, I, I, would, I would think a lot of defenders wouldn't be happy to see him come flying around the end with the ball, ready to deliver some punishment. 
Uh, also, we've got, in my opinion, if a team only plays six games, they should not be ahead of an undefeated BYU 10-win team. Most people understand the difficulty and wear and tear of more games, regardless of the level of competition. Well, that comes down to, is Ohio State getting a, too big a pass here? Uh, if you play three or four games in the Pac-12, you're going to be ranked real low. But if you're Ohio State, you're going to be ranked real high. And you've got to figure the brand and the previous seasons are a big part of that. Yeah, they're right there with anybody in terms of brand. You have to have to acknowledge that they're they're one of the big dogs for sure. So obviously, and it's a television show, man. These things they want as many ratings as much ratings as possible. And Ohio State's just going to bring it. So once you introduce television show, quote unquote, it becomes more than just athletic competition. So the NCAA basketball tournament, they're all about the ratings too, but do you worry about that? Or at 68 teams, they got everybody in who can appeal to anybody so you don't worry so much? Yeah, I think, see, that's a different animal because the allure of that is the Hoosier aspect of it. You know, we love that stuff. We love seeing a little dumpy coach who was at Hampton, who'd they beat? You know, and Craig Bullerjack was up there. Uh, Iowa State, I think. Was it? Yeah, was it you, Stacy? And they're carrying him off the court, yeah. and you know he can as barely round get him in the air. He is big, yeah. and, and so and he's doing the mosh thing. So that is a different animal because that finally is all about the underdog, and can a Butler get to the Final Four and almost beat Duke? I mean, we love that stuff. And I think the question with college football is: if they go to eight teams, will they get that, or is the nature of the sport different? You know, in basketball, you can. You can hit some threes, a guy can get in foul trouble, a guy can be on, and it can kind of level the playing field. In football, would that happen? Because there, there are people right now, including BYU fans have been tweeting us this morning, who say, hey, I think BYU can handle a four to five teams right in front of them, but you get to the top six, the top three teams, I don't think BYU can hang with them. And that's coming from Cougar fans. So, you know, a quarterfinal game, are the top four largely going to crush the next four? Because uh, there is separation at the top of college football. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. Yeah, and that gets into finances, too. The more money you have, the better you can be with all the stuff that you can afford. So, yes. I do think if it went to eight, uh, depending, you know, are you talking about a G5 getting an automatic bid, uh, if that's the case, and a particular year? Yeah, because I, and I, and the BYU might be that team that – could do it now i don't know would the g5 automatically always get the eighth bid so they're playing the number one seeded team is that something that would always be that way i would hope not in a a big year i don't see them getting much above well cincinnati is getting a lot of respect nobody's saying anything bad about cincinnati this year and there's still seven so yeah they avoid number one alabama but you draw number two notre dame instead so good luck with that yeah, but they didn't have uh, some non-conference games that maybe, and I don't know what Cincinnati's schedule would have been, but maybe they could have proven themselves. This is not the typical year, so if you schedule a big dog in a non-conference, maybe you'd have an opportunity to move up a spot or two, but they're probably not going to move up three or four spots and yeah. be seated third in the playoff. I don't think, to your point, that you'd see the uh, group of five team in the 4-5 game very often. It'd be, hey, we don't really want you winning. We don't really want you here. So here's number one Alabama. And, and they're talking about playing quarterfinals on campus. So here's number one Alabama at Alabama. Or here's Clemson at Clemson. And yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. Right. right. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.